Welcome to House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. If you're ready to get your physical, emotional, and spiritual life in order, join us for the next hour as we meet some interesting people who will share stories of success and wisdom that you can apply to your own life. Now, here's Dr. Connie. Welcome back, everybody. This is my July show. I hope you're surviving the summer heat. I had planned and scheduled for this show to talk about one of the 11 presidential secrets of longevity, that of portion control and mindful eating. Well, you know, God had other plans. Uh, That was overcome by events. And on July 1st, my beloved husband, John Weber, lost his life at the age of 63. After 11 years together and nine of which we spent nine wonderful years of marriage, John, who was really the love of my life, my perfect partner, my soulmate, died in Utah. I was there. After John passed away, I reached out to the producer of this show to tell them, just kill the series, terminate it. I just couldn't do it. Then a few days later, uh, there was a full, beautiful moon out. I was driving home, turning into the driveway, and I just felt this message from John to say, you have to do your show. The show must go on. So today, I'm dedicating my show to John. And as is usual in my format, I start off with honorable mentions. The first people I want to mention as my honorable mentions are my stepchildren, or actually, they're my children by marriage. They are my children, Mark and Melissa Weber. Mark and Melissa, I I want you to know, and we've spoken about this, but I want you to hear it on the air in front of all these people who are listening, that even though your dad may not be physically in our lives, he is always in our hearts. He's here in studio with me today. I am certain of it. You may have lost him, but you have not lost me. My prayer and hope is that we stay a family, even though he's gone, that you and I and my sons, your stepbrothers, Andrew and Jason, and their families stay together. Whenever we're together, your dad is there. You have to believe that. Whenever you feel like texting him, calling him for help, just think about him. Talk to him. Pray for him. And the message will come through. You have to believe that. He's in a place that the Internet is the fastest ever. You don't have to text. You don't have to email. You just think and you talk out loud, and he responds in his own way. To Andrew and his beautiful wife, Erin, to my son, Jason, and his girlfriend, Aaliyah, I want to thank you for your love and support these past 17 days to make sure I was okay at the house and helping me with chores and helping get the program ready for the funeral. To my family in San Diego, to John's sister, Janet, in Canada, and all the friends and family in Canada, thank you for coming out for John's funeral last Thursday. It was my hope that, again, he isn't in this life, but we shall continue our love and friendship. To my office staff, Dr. Patty Pepper, to Rachel Leonard, to Lawrence Iniscalchi, thanks for keeping the practice going and taking care of all the patients and, and also taking care of me during these past 17 days. To my right arm and right brain, personal assistant Sally, who's here in studio. Sally, I, I couldn't have done any of this without you in organizing the funeral services, the things with the mortician, the emails, everything, not to mention me becoming executive of the estate, which is tons of work if anybody ever gets tasked with that. It's lots of work. Make sure you're OCD, organized, keep good records, and you get passwords on on the person who passed. There's a lot of of homework before you check out of this life. I want to shout out to 
my incredible friends and, and my gal pals to Maddie, to Lisa, to Georgia, to Seema, Parbate, and especially to my special guest today, Julie, who is also a, a professional as well. I bring her in as a dear soul sister, as a friend, but also as a professional who I highly respect and regard. Thank you, ladies, for the calls, the texts, the dinners. You know, you got to feed me. Even though I, I'm writing that that widow Weight Watcher plan, I would not recommend that. That's not a good way to lose weight to be a widow. Uh, it, it's really it really sucks. So uh, don't try that. Okay. Uh, to my patients out there, we did send a, a notice uh, via group email. What happened after John passed July 1st? I want to thank you all for your understanding. But most of all, your love and your kindness, the cards, the numerous cards, the beautiful flowers, the hugs. Somebody even sent me a Godiva chocolates, which I appreciate it. I can't eat them right now. But the messages and, and sharing, you know, from this, I found out how many women were widowed in my group, how many have lost children. And they've given me their prescription, but how to survive and thrive after. So they really, my friends, have <clears throat> touched me deeply. To John's many, many friends, he had so many friends. And one of the people made a comment at his funeral uh, luncheon. They said, gee, I thought I was his best friend. Everybody else is his best friend here. And I think that was the beauty of John. You felt like you were his best friend because he treated you that way. But he had so many friends in industry, in business, in the aviation world, in gliders and airplanes. And then his retirement life at Desert Mountain with the golf group, the, the Bible study group, uh, just so many people. I know how much you miss him. You've told me, you've called me, you cry with me. Um, you, you miss him and I will miss him more. In previous shows, one of the things I like to highlight is obituaries. I think I love, I, I love storytelling. And what better concise way is to read an obituary of somebody fascinating, share that story, but most important, what did I learn from their life? What, have, what can they teach me that I can live my life better, fuller? So it is the case of my husband, John Weber. So allow me to read you his obituary. And this is something I thought I would never help write. Uh, it was in the Wall Street Journal. It was in, first in the internet version of it, uh, the longer version, last Friday, July 12th, and then the print version, July 13th. And realize when I, I was pushing his friends to get this published and reached out to the editors and uh, people at the Wall Street Journal, they said, Connie, this is a long shot because he's competing against uh, Lee Iacocca and Ross Perot. I said, John Weber is going to be there. He's going to make it. So I'm going to read you his obituary by James Haggerty, who is delightful in helping me make this happen. The headline is, John Weber, blunt-talking CEO, dies at 63 as his glider crashes in Utah. <clears throat> After turning around an outer parts maker, Remy International, John Weber took time in recent years to indulge in his life of piloting gliders, a hobby he pursued since his 20s. On July 1st, Mr. Weber died when his glider crashed near Ephraim, Utah. He was 63. Mr. Weber, a one-time McKinsey & Company consultant, was best known for rescuing Remy, a maker of starters and alternators, hybrid electric motors, once owned by General Motors. When he was brought, out, when he was brought in as CEO in 2006, Remy was owned by investors including Berkshire Hathaway Incorporated, the investment fund. Its debt traded at less than 70 cents on the dollar, reflecting doubts about its survival. 
Mr. Weber replaced nearly all the senior management and closed plants in Indiana, Virginia, and Mississippi. He concentrated Remy's production in Mexico, Hungary, China, and South Korea. When head office employees at Anderson, Indiana asked him to provide a employee gym, he said Remy couldn't afford it and invited those who didn't understand to leave. Quote, don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out, he called, he added. Former colleagues recalled. It's one of those many Weberisms he was known for. Remy went through a Chapter 11 bankruptcy reorganization in 2007 to restructure debt. Mr. Weber stepped down as CEO in early 2013 as the company obtained a listing on the NASDAQ stock market index. And I was there when the bell rung. It was a momentous time. Mr. Weber, refusing to accept lawyers' doubts that it could be done, forced March Remy through its bankruptcy reorganization in 60 days. He also negotiated price increases with Remy's biggest customer, GM. That took a lot of guts. He told me later that when he was doing the negotiations, they had enough money to run the company for three days, and he was waiting for the other side to respond. And you know what he did in that time of stress? The only thing he could do, he went out to the little hangar he had in Anderson, Indiana. He had this little tiny Cirrus airplane, and he waxed and cleaned his airplane wings. That's all he could do. That's just to bide his time. So in 2015, Borg Warner Incorporated acquired Remy International for about $1.2 billion. John Howard Weber, described by one former colleague as a prankster and, quote, corporate gun for hire, was born February 21, 1956, in Alberta, Canada. His father was an insurance salesman, Howard was, and his mother was a homemaker. Injuries from a car accident thwarted his plan to study at Royal Roads Military College. Instead, he attended the University of Toronto, where he graduated third in his class in mechanical engineering in 1979. He received honors in his MBA degree at Harvard Business School in 1984. Mr. Weber, who became an American citizen and was very proud of that, worked for General Electric Company, Honeywell International, and Allied Signal before becoming CEO of Eagle Picture Industries, a maker of industrial and defense products, in 2001. Gerald Mills, who headed human resources at Remy when Mr. Weber was CEO, remembered that his boss found out in 2008 that Jerry Mills's daughter, when she was studying at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, had been hit by a car while jogging and suffered minor injuries. Mr. Weber immediately arranged to use his own airplane to fly Mr. Mills to Charlottesville. Mr. Weber is survived by his sister, Jan, and two children, Mark and Melissa, from his first marriage, which ended in divorce. He is also survived by his wife, Connie Mariano, former White House physician who practices in Scottsdale, Arizona. Dr. Mariano got to know Mr. Weber when she gave him a checkup at the Mayo Clinic in, two, in, 20, in, uh, in 2000. Um, what year was that? 2002, that's when I met him. They married in 2010. Tells you a lot that shows you what a good physical can do. You can meet your wife. So that's the obituary that I thought I'd never have to read. Um, it, it really strikes you. It's very numbing because when, when, you, when you become a widow, all the feelings, somebody goes, how does it feel? I mean, it, it's numbing. It's gut-wrenching. Um, I'm going to go a little bit more into that, but I, one of the things I'll share with you is I know in my heart of hearts, John is here today in spirit. He's in studio. I can't see him. I can't feel him, but I know he's with me. 
I've had many signs from God. Uh, in my memoir, The White House Doctor, I wrote about SFDs or signs from God that guided me to the White House. Of course, I'm not comparing my late husband to God, uh, but his spirit, my husband's spirit is strong. It guides me, sends me the most interesting messages. I'm gonna write about that one day. So that's a little teaser. Uh, two days ago, I was rummaging through my closet and in the corner was a, uh, a rolled up portrait of the two of us that I had put there. We had lots of pictures, but there was also a poster sized Valentine's card he gave me a couple years ago. It was a big card for his big love for me. And on the cover of the card were all these beautiful red roses, and in front, uh, printed in script, were the words, it's pretty amazing how one person can change your life in so many ways. And you open the card, and the sentiment continues, I'm so glad you came into my world and into my heart. Happy Valentine's Day. And in his writing, in the left upper corner of the card, he writes, to my most beautiful angel, I love you with all my heart. You are my soulmate. Love and kisses, John. Well, my darling, I can re-gift this card to you. Now you're my beautiful angel and you will continue to guide me. So what can we learn from one life, right? What's in one life, one obituary? I'm gonna share about that later today in the last segment. I always ask, when we go through something like this, how can it help you, the listener? And it was a poignant lesson my kids taught me when they were in junior high. I would, I would tell them something and they would look at me with the insolence of adolescence and say, mom, mom, this means what to me? Which really says, how is this relevant? What are you, what are you taking at? And so, first of all, I'm gonna, I'm gonna address that, but first of all, you're gonna wonder, Dr. Connie, how are you doing? You're a widow, what's, what's that like? And I've reached out to quite a few of my widow friends. Uh, one of them, uh, Marianne is my cousin in uh, California, in Camarillo. She is no stranger to death. My, uh, my uh, cousin Marianne and her sister Chriselle uh, lost their father, who was my uncle, and his wife, um, my aunt, their mother, about three years ago in murder-suicide. My uh, uncle killed her, and then he uh, killed himself after severe depression. Uh, three, uh, six months later, their baby sister, Marielle, died of ovarian cancer. But uh, my dear cousin, Marianne, uh, was a, straight, was a uh, partner of death early on, she experienced it, when her husband, the father of her two children, she was pregnant at the time of the second, came home, he was a nurse uh, on lunch break, uh, lay down on the couch after lunch and had a heart attack and died. Uh, she was a widow for a while and then uh, met uh, uh, a wonderful man at her high school reunion who was a widower. They reconnected and married and she's happily married. But she told me, I said, what do you do? How, what do, you, how do you move on? And she, she said, she says, you have to get help. You have to experience the pain. You have to take care of yourself. You have to allow others to hug you. Everybody has their own time frame. Uh, another patient of mine, Donna, who lost her husband, Joe, she said about the Widows Club, if this club membership was revocable, I'm sure that many of us would comply eagerly with any exit contingencies. She's a businesswoman. Once again, she says the greater powers and the serenity prayer rule, I'm certain that you have received no shortage of advice and collective pearls of wisdom to which I will add my abbreviated thoughts. She says, while we club members share a loss, our pain is unique, specific to us as individuals. Only with the passage of time have I begun to realize exactly what parts of my loss pain me the most. 
I also realize that losing my better half is dramatically different from every other loss in my life. If, in your, if I were in your shoes, I imagine I would feel abruptly and unexpectedly thrust into a seemingly foreign land. That's for sure. My suggestion is to try to remember that the fundamental rules to live by apply. You and only you will know best what to do and when. Number one, be kind to yourself. Despite the pain and numbness, take care of yourself unless you want to end up like me with shingles. <laughs> no, we won't want that happening. She goes, definitely share that with your, your listeners. My good friend and former White House nurse, Deb Beatty, in Colorado Springs, lost her beloved husband, Jeff, the father of her daughters. And she emailed me back and she says, find a grief share group near you. Uh, she uses griefshare.org. Uh, she also leads a program at church for six years. She's very, it's very powerful. She says, just take time to lean into it, feel it, know that something will hit you out of the blue and set you back. For example, our mutual friend, Kim Siniskalki, was promoted to general. She was former White House nurse. She says, if I didn't have my buddy at home that I could share my great news with, who would I have share that? Or she said it hit her when she was registering the kids for school, having to check the widow box under marital status. She goes, holidays are going to be hard. Next may year may be harder than this. So many Christmas carols are romantic, so stand by for the pain. So I thank you, my sisters in the Widowhood Club, for that. So as I approach the break, uh, we're going to move on to our break, and we're going to come back and uh, talk with my special guest and dear friend, Dr. Julie Nay. So stay tuned for a break on Dr. Connie's show about life, love, widows, and how to survive. Stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the President of the United States? My doctor is the doctor who is taking care of three presidents and their families, Dr. Connie Mariano. I've heard about her. She's board certified in internal medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 30 years. She was at the White House for over nine years and traveled everywhere with the president. Dr. Connie is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week by email, cell phone, or Skype. And when I see her in her private office in Scottsdale, she and her staff always treat me like I'm the president. I'm going to call her office now and join her practice. Dr. Connie Mariano. This is the doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. Connie Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com. Are you ready to live younger, longer? Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. 
If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. Welcome back to our July show. We hadn't planned on talking about bereavement and widowhood after um, this episode was uh, planned initially. And uh, John Weber, my husband of... um, nine years, uh, was was killed in a glider accident in Utah July 1st. I was at uh, the airfield waiting for him to come back in his glider, and I kept waiting and waiting and never came back. And uh, they found the wreckage at 5.11 p.m. that day and uh, uh, took the bodies. Uh, there were two, he and the, the pilot behind in the back seat had died. Uh, I spoke to the coroner next day. I met uh, with the sheriff. Uh, it's, uh, I'll describe more at the ending, but then uh, there's some more stories with that. But I, wa- I really br- brought in today somebody who is near and dear to me as a friend, as a colleague, as somebody who's well-respected in her field. Uh, Dr. Julia A. is a PhD. She is a licensed clinical psychologist. Uh, specialty is eating disorders, but she's really a heart specialist. She, she takes care of broken hearts, broken souls, so, wounded souls. She's the founder and clinical director of A New Beginning LLC, Arizona's premier outpatient treatment center dedicated to the successful resolution of all eating disorders, depression, anxiety, abuse, and marital relationship issues. I've sent many of my patients to Julie. She is also the co-founder and clinical director of the Healthy Way Out LLC. It's a groundbreaking no-diet program, because we know diets don't work, Uh, that is changing the manner in which professionals approach the treatment of emotional eating and weight issues. She's recognized for exemplary work in the field of eating disorders. Dr. Ney was invited to join the esteemed prestigious faculty of Mayo Clinic School of Medicine in 2018. 2018, she serves as a consultant and guest lecturer in the medical, with the medical students of Scottsdale Mayo Clinic School of Medicine. Thanks, Dr. Ney, for being here today. You know, you and I plan to talk about eating disorders today, and a lot of this you know, it's the uh, hole in the soul, what's going to feed that, and lots of food for thought if you want to use metaphors. But I shared with you over dinner last night losing John. And you know him very well. As a friend, you've come to our house. He's given you business advice. You know, I guess I want to say first and foremost, it is such a privilege to be invited into this space with you. To be welcomed in in the most vulnerable is the deepest of honors and it's a gift both ways because when you love somebody and you know how much I love you care about you as well as John and you're invited in to help 
-hmm. It's a beautiful thing. So to be able to embrace you and to help you through this is a gift. And I appreciate that more than you'll ever know. Thank you. I always say this is the price you pay for loving somebody, right? You know, if I didn't love him so deeply, I wouldn't be hurting. So it says how much you love somebody. Those tears mean I had tremendous love. Love is a beautiful, beautiful part of life that opens us up to the possibility of loss. Yeah. And that's a risk that we take Mm -hmm. every day. But the gifts that we garner as a result of being able to have a loving partner, as John was, you know, is worth it. And you epitomize that. You live your life courageously. You loved John courageously. He loved you fully. That's who he was. And so, yes, we are here in grief, but because of the love that you have experienced in life, because of that great man. Yeah. 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 What advice would you give to me and then to my stepchildren? Because they lost their dad and, and very, very close to him. If they're listening, they're, they're listening. They'll listen in. Yeah. You know, in our culture, we don't do grief very well. You know, we don't want to hurt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we think that to be devastated is to be weak. Mm-hmm. And I say that with quotes. Mm-hmm. We want to avoid and we want to rush into happiness. And true life, when you're living it fully and authentically is not that way. And it's not supposed to be that way. So when we get hit with a devastating loss, we need to be able to move through it honestly and in a way that embraces it and to not be afraid of that. And that looks different for different people. It's going to look different within the same person over time. So it really is to allow yourself to move forward in what is honest and authentic for you in the moment Mm -hmm. of every day without judgment and without fear that somehow it's going to be too large for you, that it's going to devastate you. Mm -hmm. Because that's when I think we start to cope in a way that's unhealthy. You know, we put up our guard or we distract too much, Mm -hmm. you know, and we really abort the grieving process and it actually makes our heart stay wounded for longer. I shared with you the things I observed. I I call them waves of weeping. Mm -hmm. And I recall when my mom passed, my dad would be, you know, we'd be out with family and all of a sudden he just start sobbing. And I, I, it's like, thank you, John. It used to be I'd wake up every morning kissing him and go to bed at night kissing him. Now I'm weeping. I wake up weeping. Um, I call them waves of weeping. Uh, I cry in my bathroom, uh, in bathroom stalls. A good place to cry is in your car. Mm-hmm. Listening to music, you just sob, and then it's, it moves its way through. You ride that wave yeah. of weeping. It, it, it comes. Yeah. yeah. And, and what I love about what you're saying, Connie, is that you ride it. Mm-hmm. You don't try to control it. Mm-hmm. Because when we try to control our emotions, mm-hmm. guess what? Mm-hmm. It backfires. Yeah. Yeah. Our psyche is actually brilliant. Mm-hmm. And if we allow and we trust that even though it hurts, mm-hmm like hell, Mm -hmm. you know, we will come through the other side. And that doesn't mean immediately. It doesn't mean in a day. You know, there really is no time frame for grief. But the more we can embrace it fully, the more we will be able to heal fully, Mm -hmm. because the heart will heal. 
It's not going to forget, but it can heal. But it takes time and it takes allowing your natural processes to go through it in a way that's truly going to help you to heal. Mm-hmm. Other things you advise when you talk to, you know, when you see your patients who've lost a spouse, do you see a lot of people coming in who've you know, lost I, people? I think grief is part of life. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think you got hit with um, a lot of factors that are the most difficult. Number one, sudden death. You know, death is never easy, but if there is a death that you expect because someone is older Mm -hmm. or someone is sick, it Mm -hmm. gives ourselves time to um, prepare for it, you know, to to say goodbye, to make our amends if we need to, you know, to adjust. And when there's a sudden loss, we, we don't get that. There's this abrupt change to the reality of our life. And it's true. In a lot of ways, double edged sword. I, I, the last time I saw him was when they towed the plane up. And the ritual we have is I get him ready, I, I crew for him, so I help him in the glider, the oxygen, the parachute. Somebody goes, is that a safe sport? No, it's not. If they have to put a parachute on you, hello, it's not safe. So, and they know that, and pilots know that. They take up risks, it's something they, they love flying, and I'll talk about that later. but. Our ritual is after I get him all set, as he's programming uh, the the program uh, the computer in his his um, glider, as they're getting ready to close the canopy, I kiss him on the lips and I say the same thing every time. I say, "Come back home, safe to me," and he kisses me back and he says, "I promise." And so they close the hatch of the canopy. I pull to the side, and then the tow plane pulls him away down the runway and usually blows a kiss Mm -hmm. to me, and I blow one back. This time he didn't. He focused straight ahead. So the image I got was on carriers, aircraft carriers, when they launch, focused Mm -hmm. on the mission. That was the last time I saw my husband, was that image. In a lot of ways, I'm grateful. Mm -hmm. I didn't see his dead body. Mm -hmm. As a physician, Mm -hmm. I've been at the bedside of people dying. Mm -hmm. I don't think I could have handled my husband dying of natural causes. Mm -hmm. Uh, He he didn't have a stroke. He didn't have a heart attack. The cause of death was blunt injury, Mm -hmm. and he transected his aorta. That was it. It was fast. It was, it was, he didn't suffer. And I think as a doctor, if I had known my husband had some type of growth or you know, illness, I would be devastated. Yeah. I, could, I should have found it. I should have been able to rescue. I was helpless. Yeah. I couldn't do anything. That's right. God took him. And I didn't see him become old. And yeah. one of the things he shared is, I never want you to, to see me get old, and he feared dementia. So there are all those things, yeah. and he wouldn't have handled age well. Yeah. But you're right, there is a difference between abrupt loss mm-hmm. versus like my parents, my dad, we buried him on his 94th birthday. We had time to prepare, he had his last will. And it's one of the things I tell my patients, once a year I have that conversation. You have your advanced directive, do you know what to do? I, I, I go to AJ's Market and get lunch, and there's a book <laughs> that nobody buys, but they should get it. It's in front of the, uh, the snack area, and it's and the title of the book is I'm dead now what mm-hmm. and it's like all the information all the passwords where the keys where you keep the bank account I mean that you prepare so your loved ones know what kind of funeral and when I went to the mortuary with my son and my friends getting John's funeral service ready uh, they said do you want cremation cremation after the service absolutely and I looked at my son I said I want to be cremated too uh, but first you know I want the casket so you can have the American flag I want that because you can hug it versus a little box and then cremate me scatter my ashes in various places probably department stores where I go shopping um, in nice restaurants 
if they allow that. Uh, and then I said, uh, this, I want to be in an urn. Mm-hmm. So you tell them. He goes, Mom, I don't want to talk about it. I said, mm-hmm. I will write it down. Right. Because if there's a doubt, people go, what would he want me to do? So right. it's plant in your mind, get those things done out yeah. of the way, and then let it go. Yeah. So what you're talking about you know, right now is logistical preparing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think it brings up two points for me. And I think that one is, is that unfortunately we never know when death is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And... I know you and John, and one of the things that was so beautiful but also made it so bitter is you lived every day like it was your last day together because you truly loved each other fully. And we don't know when we're going to go, and I would encourage everybody, as much as this feels and sounds like a cliche, we need to live every day as if we're not going to come back from the plane. Right. I think the second thing, Connie, when we're talking about no time to say goodbye, and I think that this is part of your radio show today, I know you and you are saying goodbye to John in your own ways. Mm -hmm. So I think for people when there's been sudden death is they need to then provide themselves the opportunity to talk to their loved one, to say goodbye, to say the things they need to, to honor the spirit of that individual and who they were in your life. And that can take lots of different forms as far as knowing that John's here with us today and doing this show. It could be speaking to that person, but giving yourself time to say what you need to say so that your heart and your psyche can eventually heal and reconcile. Yeah, it's a things unsaid. Uh, I talk to him all the time. I have some really interesting experiences with that because I usually hear music that applies to the situation. I go, you sent me that song. I know exactly know it. Or I'll see a bird flying by or a butterfly or a little black fly. Or I mean, he's, it's something how he always knows I like those interesting signs. But tell me more about healthy grieving. Well, I I I think you're you're also saying another point, Connie, that I think is so important. And this is not something that you can really um, uh, push yourself to do. But if you have it, it's a gift. And that is a spiritual sense of what happens after death. Right. You know, and that doesn't have to be established religion. For some people it Mm -hmm. is. But I think it is so helpful to have a sense of what happens to the soul Mm -hmm. and what happens to your love Mm -hmm. in the relationship that you've experienced Mm -hmm. in this world. And when you do have that belief system that it's not gone, it certainly is different. It doesn't make the grief any less profound because he's physically not here. But I know you and you have a very strong belief that he is still here and he's with you. And I think that's really helpful. You're right. You're right. So when I talk to people and they they struggle with grief, you know, we really explore what is their relationship with the soul mm-hmm. and spirituality. And there's no right or wrong, but I really encourage them to get a sense as much as any of us can know or feel of what happens to that soul mm-hmm. after it physically passes, because I think that that provides us with great comfort. And I think it's very important. And you're so right about it. You know, John, and my journey is such that he fear, he doesn't fear death. He did not fear at all. We believe that there is life after death, and it's fantastic. We've, uh, you know, I've read near-death experiences books. Uh, we saw even Alexander, uh, the the physician neurosurgeon, who had near-death experience and talk about it. We at, at our church, 
Uh, I have friends who are psychics and mediums, so I know. And I, in my heart of hearts, he's, he's in a better place. I think the thing that sustains me is just tremendous gratitude. Uh, he came into my life when you know, I was going through a divorce, and I never had to be alone. He quickly proposed marriage when I found I was getting a divorce. And we had a magnificent life. It was our Camelot. It only lasted 11 years. But it, how many women at 55 can marry the love of their life? Find Number one, find the love of their life and just had an incredible life and experience that. And part of my grief is that's over. It's a, another life will begin. I have to say goodbye to that. You miss the physical, the touch, the kiss, the holding hands. We held hands all the time, all the time. The emails, the texts, the laughter. And it's a different dimension, but yeah. I, but also it's truly the tremendous gratitude that I had him. So so what you're really talking about is is really this dialectical experience. Like there's gratitude, and then there's tremendous loss and missing. Right. Right. They're saying I'm so happy that he was in my life, and then oh, but then why does he have to go yeah. away? Why, you know? why did it have to end? Right, right. It was so good. We had planned when we got married. There was a song he played that. I want to spend the next 45 years together. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, keep you alive. I'm a good doctor. We'll keep you alive. But it was just not meant to be. That's and right. you have to believe the soul lives forever. There is a higher power that governs it all, and they have a plan, and it's not revealed to us perhaps till later. And that, as one of my friends said, when his daughter, actually she died the next day, there are no tears in heaven. Mm -hmm. you know. And you got to believe, really, that's where it's the soul is forever and love stays forever. It transcends time. And it's, you know, it's one thing to say it, but really let time sink in and believe it uh, in your heart of hearts. That's truly the case. And I think what's really important with time, time doesn't mean that the loss is ever going to be gone. You're going to have a different relationship with the loss. Mm -hmm. I think too many times people fear or expect that then they're going to move on and forget or it's right. going to be less meaningful. I'm afraid that I'll forget. No, and it's like, I'll never forget. You're never going to forget, yeah, John, and the, right. and the wonderful, wonderful space that he will yeah. always continue to have in your heart. Yeah. And one day down the road, there will be some form of reconciliation mm -hmm. that allows you to move forward and to be able to reinvent yeah. down the road. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We're going to pause for a break, and you're, you're listening in to my therapy session with my good friend, Dr. Julian A. So stay tuned. We'll come back after the break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you ready to live younger, longer? Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the President of the United States? 
My doctor is the doctor who is taking care of three presidents and their families. Dr. Connie Mariano. I've heard about her. She's board certified in internal medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 30 years. She was at the White House for over nine years and traveled everywhere with the president. Dr. Connie is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week by email, cell phone, or Skype. And when I see her in her private office in Scottsdale, she and her staff always treat me like I'm the president. I'm going to call her office now and join her practice. Dr. Connie Mariano. This is the doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. Connie Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com. You can like and comment on the Voice America Empowerment Channel Facebook page. This is the place to get and share advice from some of the best leaders on the planet. Get started today by searching for Voice America Empowerment or click the like button under the player today. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. We're talking about life, love, and loss, honoring the memory of my beloved husband, John Weber, who passed tragically on July 1st in a glider accident. And as I was looking back in the last 17 days, I recalled my basic psychology. They have something called the Holmes and Ray stress scale. And we look at life events and they rank them and try to predict based on that, the more points, the higher the risk you're going to get sick. And uh, each uh, event is assigned a score. You add them up and then increases you know, the more stress. The number one stressor is death of a spouse or a child. That's 100 points. Divorce, 73. Marital separation, 65. Imprisonment, 63. Death of a close family member like your parent, a sibling, 63. Personal injury or illness, 53. Marriage is a stress, a good stress, but still a stress, 50. Dismissal from work, 47. Marital reconciliation, 45. And retirement, guys, that's a stressor, 45. So how am I doing? I'm numb, I'm on autopilot, I have waves of weeping, I wake up crying, I go to bed crying. That's normal, I know that. I can't sleep, I get good and tired, I pass out from exhaustion, then I wake up three hours later, trying to go back to sleep. I don't like taking meds. I usually get a massage if I go up to the spa. That usually I'll sleep in the middle of the massage. Uh, I can't eat. As I said, I lost about 10, 11 pounds. It's the widow weight loss diet. We don't recommend it. The last 17 days, Julie, have been surreal. It's like a bad dream that refuses to end. Yeah. I keep thinking, okay, joke's over, guys. You know, I keep waiting for him for, to text me or his phone, the, the dial tone to come up, the, his, his, his song we use. So And that's perfectly normal. Yeah, I know. It's, it's just so... As I reflect, and I'm going to always constantly reflect, I always think how precious you talked about life is. Every day is gift. Every moment is precious. He only had 63 years in this lot. I talked about on this show because we talked about longevity. The average lifespan of the American male is 78, women's 81. He didn't even make it. But, you know, John was an overachiever. He got a lot done in 63 years. He packed a lot into 63 years. 
about a, in May, he was in San Diego with me and my sister and, and her wife, and they had just come back from a riverboat cruise, and it was part of their bucket list. When my sister retired, and she looks over at John and says, so what's on your bucket list? And he says, absolutely nothing. I have done everything I wanted to do. I bought everything I wanted. I have done everything. I take great joy in knowing he died doing what he loved to do. And when you say that, I, I look at myself, Connie, what would you like to be doing when you die? I mean, what is it that you love so much that would bring you joy and you'd be, you know, going into the next life doing it? He visited all the places he wanted to see. He, he did everything. The only thing he couldn't buy was more time. And I think that's really the heartbreaker. If only we had more time. And that's how you say how precious it is. Unfinished business. When someone, you know, you say goodbye, I always tell my kids I love them because you don't know. You don't know when the last time. The message of his life that I share today is, is this. Number one, live life to the fullest. And he did. He lived it with gusto. No regrets, no unfinished business. He truly embraced joy. And when I was going through my divorce, and I remember driving back to the house that I rented, I said a prayer to God. I said, dear God, if you want me to be alone, I shall accept that. But if you want me to be with somebody, please send somebody who cherishes me and who's mm -hmm. joyful. Mm -hmm. And make it so obvious, because sometimes I don't get it. And John was like, obvious. This is the guy. This is the guy. But he really taught me to accept joy without guilt. Having grown up thinking, you're never good enough, you don't deserve it, he goes, why not? I'll do, and it was this generosity, not only materialistic. I mean, he gave me beautiful things material-wise, material but he gave me wonderful love, the joy, the twinkle in his eye, affection. And he gave me so many things. I, at one point I said, listen, you buy me jewelry, buy this. I said, don't give me things, give me memories. Those sustain. Give me memories that I can live for a long time. The other thing he taught me is not to fear death. He did not fear death. I know the soul lives on. and the, See, my fear is to not remember. But the hope is that he remembers me and that I will remember him in the next life. So when I look at our listeners and I think, well, what can we give them to share? John did the things that made him happy. He, he had his flying, he, he had his golf, he had business adventures. He truly was joyful. What is it that you do that makes you joyful? Don't do it because your friends want you to do it or society wants you to do it, because you truly found the thing that brings you joy. And that was the thing for me. And, and as we discussed it, I said, I think it's writing. I like to communicate. I like to write. I find joy in creating and stories. I, like, I love patients. They have great stories. And uh, I look at you, and you knew him. And you know, what, do you, what have you learned from his life that you can share? Wow. You, you, um, you took a lot of the words that I would have used because they were just perfect to describe John, um, certainly from your perspective, but as a friend and also in my life, I have always looked towards mentors, people who I admire that I can look at and say, what can I learn about life? How can I better myself by looking at somebody that I admire? And John was one of those people. Um, I recalled last night to you over dinner when we were over at your house for a Thanksgiving party, and everyone's dressed up, of course, in their <laughs> best fancy clothes. And here comes John in this ridiculous, and I say that with so much love in my heart, this like 
t-shirt with a tuxedo printed on it. <laughs> it was casual, formal and, casual. And I think some red felt or something. And it was just John. Yeah. Um, my kids were over one time, and he took them into your home theater, and he got them popcorn from the popcorn machine, and he said, you have to watch Top Gun. <laughs> and he sat with us as the whole place shook, and he was this big kid, kid. with this heart and this joy that was actually genuine. Yeah. He lived what we all hope to live. He lived fully. He supported himself and his own needs, yet he loved others just as fiercely. He showed that you could work hard, you could play hard, you could love hard, you could laugh hard. And he was a gift. I... You, you just can't believe when a spirit that strong leaves this world. And what I can only say is that his energy is still here. What he taught everybody that he touched was, was tremendous is live your best life. Yeah. It's live so your best life. You know, so many people have called, emailed me, cried at the stories of his generosity. And he was a character. He, uh, I, as I said in the eulogy, he uh, was a man without a filter. He told you what it was, but he was fair. He was honest. I said, uh, you're, you're too honest to be a politician and too blunt to be a diplomat, man without a filter. But he truly, he, he was, he was good, a good-hearted human being. And uh, like everybody else has complexities and insecurities, but I just, I look at how people react and I, I wonder, I wonder if he knew how they felt. Mm. I think the sad thing is timing. It's like you don't find out how great someone is until they die, and everyone's always so great. And I think he had the advantage when he was with with people he liked. He told them that. He says, I just love that guy. He's a great buddy. And he would say it. He's a fantastic person. Mm. You knew where you stood with him. You knew if he didn't like you, that was obvious. And you knew if he thought the world of you. Because it's just he treated you as though you were his best friend. And I, I look at that. And... I think uh, the legacy he lives is that lesson of his life, of the struggle. He worked very hard to do the things he wanted to do. He also left, I, I, I videotaped him two days before his death. He was the only pilot among 65 to complete the task at that gliding camp. And he gave a four minute, three second speech. And it was quintessential John Weber. He was self-deprecating, he was funny, but he taught, he was up there bragging. He was teaching what to do if something happened which was almost like a, a portents of, uh, you know, predicting what would happen. It was very eerie, but I taped that. Wow. And he was joyful. They were applauding him. He had the admiration of the glider pilots. I said, why do you do glider pilot? I mean, you don't make money. I mean, you don't get an award. He says, it's the bragging rights. I respect these people. And after he passed, I got the word. I told the pilots I wanted to address them the next morning at the pilot meeting. And they said, Connie, we're not going to fly today. We're just going to have a down day, a safety day. He said, I want to talk to the pilots. And so I got up there, and there were about 100 people in the, in the uh, hangar, and everyone was depressed. And obviously, the, the guy Bruno was up there, and he, he couldn't talk. He started crying. I took the microphone, and John calls it the jaw of John, because I I emulate or I channel my husband and say, all right, this is, I said, listen, I said, we've lost an amazing man. And I want you to know he died doing what he loved to do. He didn't suffer. 
And you all take a risk. You love flying, you love gliding, it's an extreme sport, but so is being in the military. I mean, I was in for 24 years, anybody who's in law enforcement, firefighting, that's a job you can die in the job. And you accept that because you believe it's so much. But one of the things that he loved so much about the community was the camaraderie, the, the, the friendships, the, the time you spent together is brotherhood. And there's something about flying. I'll never look at the sky differently. They read the sky. They mm -hmm. look for invisible thermos. Mm -hmm. It's so beautiful. And part of my morning is that that community is gone to me. Mm -hmm. The aviation community, the Five Mike Mike, the Charlie Whiskey, all the, a whole different breed of people. I know how to get a glider set up. I know a launch. I know a whole different vocabulary. Right. And maybe I'll write a book called Glider Girl one day. Who knows? But you lose that that connection to a group of people. Mm -hmm. And so what I did in the end said, listen, you keep flying, because he would want you to do that. But also in the process, look out for each other, love each other, because this is a great honor to, to be this close to the heavens. And one of the things I said and observed, never have they felt more alive than they're closest to death, bouncing around those mountains. But uh, for the listeners out there, if you go on to our website, John was on three shows, so his voice is on our podcast. The first show was done in 2017. He was on a show called Lead the Way. It was about business, so that was the first show. The second show was in 2018 June on Father's Day. He talked about being a dad and a stepdad. Mm. And the final show, interestingly, was on his birthday, February 21 of this year. Wow. And the podcast the, is entitled Power of Partners, What Makes a Happy Marriage. And about a week before I was preparing for the summer shows and I said, do you want to be on the show where I talk about play, like gliding? He says, I'm done being on your show, get somebody else. But he did the three shows that were most important to him, was about the business, about being a good dad, and about being a wonderful husband. So he left that legacy for people to listen to. Anything else, Dr. Benet, before well, we close I our just, show? Well, you know, as you're talking about that last point, you know, the other thing that I think John really, really showed and Kleenex Alert he showed what it's like to have a happy, loving marriage. Mm -hmm. You did. you envied the I two did. of you. We did. It showed what love should be. I tell people we loved each other, but we were in love. Yeah. We were in love. Yeah. And with that, it is with love and gratitude to the life of my beloved John Howard Weaver for being in my life too short a time, but you know, sweetheart, when it's my time, I know very well you're going to come get me. It's just like that country western song, waiting on a woman, you're going to be coming to get me. Take me with you flying, darling. So with that, I thank you all for listening in. I thank my dear friend and and guest, Dr. Julia Ney, who heals wounded hearts and wounded souls. So every day is precious. Go out there and soar and embrace life and be joyful. God bless you all. Thank you again for joining us this week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. We'll be back next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a terrific week.